You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Let's dive into God's Word. I invite you to turn to the book of Judges chapter 6. We've been in it for a little while now. Judges chapter 6, we're going to be at verse 25, so find your, find your way there. Just a little background as you're on your way to Judges 6.25. What a day it must have been for Gideon as we come back into Gideon's life. Last week we looked at this, here he was beating out wheat in the wine press, remember that? Trying to hide it, and he's interrupted, he's interrupted by the presence of the Lord. And then the Lord's assurance, you know, here's the Lord, and then there's, there's the angel, the, the assurance, I'm, I'm with you, Gideon, go and save Israel. And Gideon being Gideon, just to make sure, he asked for a sign. Show me who's speaking to me. And God graciously reveals himself to Gideon in the fire. Remember that offering that he, he put on that rock and the fire goes up and it's as if the, the wind was knocked out of Gideon. Keegan drew this picture last week, capturing this. Now, it's hard for you to see. Maybe we've got to get it really dark. There's a lot of yellow going on. But here, I believe, is Gideon. Is that right down here, Keegan? That's Gideon way down with the sword there, giving the offering. And there is in all that picture, this fire, and I think a picture of this light that he must have saw, this, this what is before me. So thank you, Keegan, for drawing that. And for all kids, we've got clipboards back there. Use those. And Gideon, seeing this, says, I've seen the Lord face to face. And and essentially, his question becomes, am I going to die because this has happened? But he would not. Instead, he heard those words, peace to you, don't fear. What great words. And so Gideon builds this altar, an altar that's called The Lord is peace. What a day for Gideon, for his life that we read about last week in the portion right before here in Judges chapter 6. And yet the day was not over yet. He had seen the Lord. The Lord goes up. He sees him face to face. He doesn't die, but the day is not over because God comes that night, that very night, with a mission. That's what we want to read about this morning. So look at Judges 6.25, and I'll read through verse 32 this morning is where we're at. That night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bowl and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold... The altar of Baal was broken down. 
and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he's broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal? Or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore on that day Gideon was called Drubbal, or Drubbal. That is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. Let's pray together. Father, again we ask for your guiding hand as we study your word. What a word it is to us. May you give us insight here. Help us to understand the situation of Gideon and his dad Joash and and the men of the city and the altars and the tearing down and the building up. And then Lord, help us to bring it forward to May 16th, 2021. Lord, how would you have us apply this in our own lives today as we follow you, Lord Jesus? Lord, we ask for Your Spirit to reveal Your truth within Your Word. All of Your Word is truth. Your Word is truth. And Lord, speak to our hearts today in this to believe and to obey. And we pray this for Your might to be done. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, Gideon, as we had closed out last week, Gideon worshipped Yahweh, the Lord. But that worship would lead to two things in Gideon's life, at least two things, and that's what we see here. Number one, Gideon is going to tear down those idolatrous idols that are amongst his, his family. Those idols, altars of worship, really, in his own house. That's what God commands him to do. And then number two, I mean, there's that. And then there's number two, he's going to face the public backlash for doing that. For following the Lord and destroying the altar, what will the public do to Gideon? That's what he faces as well. As we come back in our passage, verses 25 and 26, give us the details of this command of the Lord that came that same, that same night for Gideon. So let me just, by way of repetition even, I know you might say, well, we just, we just read this. There is nothing wrong with reading these ten times because you gain and you begin to understand. So let's just look at verse 25 and 26 once again. That says, That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. Mission number one, destroy the altar of Baal and the Asherah beside it. Baal and Asherah, I know we don't often speak, we we see these terms, these, these false gods here in Scripture as we read about Baal and the Asherah poles, that sort of thing. This is really 
one of the first places Asherah is mentioned is actually mentioned in, in Deuteronomy, I believe. Uh, I can't remember the reference to cut it down, but here it's really mentioned for what Gideon was to do. These are, these are the, the, I'm quoting here, the deities that they're looking to. Gods, it seems, gods of, of nature. Maybe that's a broad statement. Gods of, of fertility. Gods of rains. Which if you're in a land of agriculture, what's really important? Rain. Baal, kind of maybe a storm god I saw one place. Rains come, fertility, children, crops, abundance, that idea. So, if you're in a land of agriculture, I mean, wouldn't, couldn't hurt to kind of worship these gods too. Let's just add them on. And, and we don't know, did they add, did they totally abandon Yahweh? I'm, I'm not sure. But why not, let's just add, I mean, let's... Let's worship all the gods we can for all the crops we can get or children we can get. And yet, Yahweh the Lord will not share His glory with any other god. The call for Gideon, tear them down. You saw in here, verse 25, there's two, two bowls that are mentioned. Not sounds like I'm saying bowls. Bowls. B-U-L-L. Two bowls that are mentioned here in verse 25. Kind of interesting. The first bowl, bowl number one we'll call him. He's the bowl of Gideon's father. He's your, you see it there. Uh, your, take your father's bowl. I think this, this bowl, number one, maybe some wouldn't, wouldn't delineate there's two here, but I think bowl number one is really the workhorse to accomplish the task of tearing down an altar. To put it in our day, get your father's John Deere or your New Holland or Case or I won't mention them all, but you're a fan of certain ones. Grab them and plow down the altar and use your father's bull to do it. I think that's the purpose of grabbing your father's bull, at least the first one. But then secondly, there's another one. This is really interesting. Bull number two. The second bull. You see how he's described here. The second bull, he's described as how old? Seven years old. Does that jog your memory? Where have we seen seven years before? Turn back to the very first verse of this chapter. Seven-year-old bull, that's who Gideon's to sacrifice. Look at verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord... And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. Don't think that's a mistake or just coincidence that this bull is the one to be sacrificed representing this. Here's what one commentary says. The seven years which constituted the age of the bullock bull contained an inward allusion to the seven years of the Midianitish oppression. And they go on to say, Jehovah could not be worshipped along with Baal. Whoever would serve the Lord must abolish the worship of Baal. So this new judge, this Gideon, just called that, that day, really was to begin a revival in the land. And it first involved tearing down what the people held so dear, the Baal and the Asherah. Even the bull itself, it would seem as you read some places, maybe the bull is representative of Baal. And so even this sacrificing would be quite offensive to the people. 
But this commandment here, it's, it's not a new commandment for Gideon. This is really something they should have already been doing. Deuteronomy 7 5 says this regarding the enemies of the land that Israel is in at, at this time. Break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and, and burn their carved images with fire. This is something they, they really should have done a long time ago. This should not have been there, but it was. And so God is raising up a deliverer to lead His people back to God. They had cried out, Here's Gideon, weak and flawed though he be, God is raising him up for a purpose here. Well, as we look at verse 26, I can't be certain with the wording here, but it appears, it appears this way that Gideon is to... So there's this tearing down, cut down the pole, and then 26 is the building. Uh, build up the altar make a burnt offering, this idea, and it, it would seem like build it on the same grounds as Baal's altar. There's Baal's altar. You just plowed it over with the bull. Now build something over top of it. I'm, I can't be certain on that, but it would seem to be this is built. The NIV, you might be reading an NIV, it says to build it on top of this height, which maybe implies this is the same place. Either way, is this fascinating? The wood, the idols even that Milt read about here, they're used, this wood of the Asherah is used for the burnt offering. It's burn it up, and it's an offering of maybe thanksgiving, maybe atonement perhaps, this burnt offering. You read about it in Leviticus 1. It's an altar of worship to the Lord. God's reign extends over and above that of all His enemies. He declares this, remember Isaiah 42.8? I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. He is jealous for His glory alone. Gideon is called to go be a con to, to do this. So mission number one for Gideon, go destroy these altars of Baal and the Asherah. And look at the first part, actually just the first sentence of verse 27. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. And we should all cheer for Gideon here. Way to go. You did it. God commanded. He went. And we'll get the rest of the verse in a minute, but we just want to stop and pause. Gideon does as commanded. He obeyed. No questions, no, I, right now, you sure, whatever. We'll look at that. But here's what, here's what uh, one writer, Alfred Edersheim, mentioned him a couple times. Here's what he says, writes regarding Gideon and his call to save Israel and his call to, to do this thing God had commanded. Here's what he says. He says, No one is fit for his work in the world till he has begun it in himself and in his own house and put away all sin and rebellion however hard the task you hear what he's saying your own house start there no one's fit for a work in the world unless you get that house in order his house in order we may not have altars to Baal up and down main street of Leroy you might not have an Asherah 
pole in your yard or at the end of your driveway. But can you say that in your heart you are wholly devoted to the worship of the Lord? Are you wholly devoted to the Lord? It's a penetrating question. I know it maybe it's even a common question. I don't think it's the first time or last at all that we ask that question of ourselves. Am I wholly devoted? When I sing nothing but the blood and I worship you alone, shout to the Lord, praise Him, is it solely Him? Or is there something else? Jesus says this in Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Familiar words to us. Where's your treasure at? We may not call them Baals or Asherah, but it's easy, so easy for us to build up treasured altars of false worship in each of our lives. Money's an easy one, so maybe you say, yeah, I knew you were going to say that, right? Money, the Bible speaks of it. Maybe it's an altar called money, and enough of it will finally satisfy Maybe it's an altar called the, the right job, if that happens, the right spouse, or even the right children. We build these, just these altars, want this and that. Maybe an altar, now speaking more per- personally, an altar called the perfect vacation. I want it just right. I want the right kind of rest and this and that, and begin to build altars. Or an altar called food. I just want to make sure we've got enough. And, and we, we treasure what should not be. We should trust the Lord. Or we, or we eat more than what we should. We don't find our true satisfaction in the Lord. Or let the food draw us to worship the Lord through it. All these things. We're anxious for them. What did all these things that I've listed, and you've got your own, I mean, fill in the blank. If, if this jest, or if I just have this, if you could fill in the blank, what do all these have in common, I think what's in common is they all revolve around me. Or put you in the blank. They revolve around you. Because really, to our minds, without Christ, we're growing in the Spirit, but our flesh, I am most important. It's almost, I would say, an altar built of me. An altar to me. My feelings matter most. It's my needs most. Not your plan, it's my plan. Or you'd say, it, no, it's my plan, not your plan. Your heart will follow what you treasure. Which is maybe why the same chapter where I just read that, where your treasure is, there your heart will. Jesus goes on to talk about anxiousness. You know, don't be anxious for what you will eat or where. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Remember the kind of the, the climax, I think, of that section. But what? Seek First, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Either self is king and is worshipped or God is king. It's, it's God's kingdom or mine. The call today for your particular altar to fill in the blank is to break it down, burn it down. Maybe quite literally, you just need to delete Facebook, not that it's sinful to have Facebook. Or maybe you just need to delete Instagram and it's not sinful to have that. But maybe that for you is a, is a snare. 
Maybe it's something else. It's that thing you need to let go of because it has become a treasure in your life beyond Christ. I'm not saying we can't enjoy things, enjoy good food, enjoy vacations, enjoy these things, but when we treasure them and begin to worship and build altars out of them that if they don't happen, we get emotionally angry about them, to me, that's a good indication I've got an altar here and it needs to be cut down. May God, by His grace, empower us to do this. We're powerless to say, okay, I'll just go burn. We need His power to do this. May He do that. For us to not only cut them down, but replace. I think that's, that's why Gideon can go out and cut down these altars. Because why? He has beheld the Lord. I, I don't think it works, and, and there's... Okay, I won't say the title of the book because I can't remember it. This idea of affections, to, to just cut down an idol with nothing in its place will just be filled with another idol, another altar. It's to behold the Lord. Replace the altar with worship, beholding the Lord who is peace, who is salvation. Christ Jesus, in fact, to treasure Him because He is our eternal rest, our eternal hope, our eternal life. Well, this mission of Gideon and our mission as well, he needs to destroy the strongholds of false worship with obedient worship to the Lord. It will lead quite possibly to public outcry. And so look at the second part now of verse 27. And the text tells us about Gideon. He did as the Lord commanded, and then there's this, this but word in here, but because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. I think here we really see the humanity of Gideon before us and, and the fear of what this devotion might mean in a, in a public sense with his family. If I'm going to be fully devoted, if my treasure is going to be Christ, what's that going to look like in my family and the men of this town and this city? So let's just answer, look at Gideon's life. Should he really be afraid to do this by day or night? I mean, what he's just seen. It was, the fire went up. I'm with you. Go, Savior. Should Gideon be afraid? We, we would all answer, no, you shouldn't be afraid, Gideon. You shouldn't fear this. God's with you. And yet, I think we can relate. We can relate to this call to obediently worship God. And yet, there's this weakness of our flesh that fears man. We want to do this, and yet we fear man. So we might ask, was this right or wrong of Gideon to do this? Did he, did he sin here? Should he have delayed? Did it, was it okay he did this by night? Maybe. I, I like what author Dale Davis says. He says, some may blame Gideon for demolishing Baal's altar by night, fearing relatives and city fathers. I doubt that it matters. Did God tell him to do it by day? Did God tell him he couldn't be afraid? Or did God simply tell him to do it? Evidently, obedience was essential and heroism optional. He obeyed. You could wrestle with, should he have gone day, night, whatever. He did as God commanded. 
And in fact, as we look at verses 28 and 29, Gideon had a legitimate fear. He, he was afraid, and turns out he had reason to be afraid. Look at the verses there, 28. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down. The second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. They said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon the son of Joash has done this thing. Perhaps Gideon had tried to conceal his deed by night, but drastic and wholehearted obedience to the Lord would not be hidden. The deed would be exposed by the dawn's early light, as it were. Maybe these men were just headed into into the area, up to the altar, whatever, first thing in the morning, and lo and behold, to their surprise, there's a new altar. If we think it's on the same place, there's a new altar to Yahweh in its place, to which they exclaim, who has done this thing? I, I don't think they're just asking, well, who did this? That's pretty neat, right? It's who, who did this thing? And we don't know how. We don't, we don't know who snitched, but they found out. Maybe it was one of Gideon's family. Maybe it was one commentator said, um, maybe it was one of these ten men that he gathered with him. He said, a, a, a secret known to ten men is no secret. Word got out. Gideon, this was his, his doing. And it led to a public outcry. These men did not, they did not immediately express their thanks to Gideon, did they? Thank you, Gideon. What a, what a wonderful thing you have done for us. Our eyes are open. Thank you. That's not what happened. I'd say, are we any different? How glad are we when somebody points out our own sin. Have you, you often go, thank you, I, just, I love hearing that. I, I am a sinner and you, what a joyful thing it is that you have shared this with me. They should have been joyful for Gideon was bringing them back to worship Yahweh, the, the fountain of life and joy. Instead, who's done this? That was their response. And we want to defend our altar and destroy the messenger. May we be careful. May God help us to embrace the messenger. Say, whoa, Lord, Your grace is working on my life to show me this altar or that or that idol that's in my life so that I may tear it down and worship You. Well, they want to destroy this messenger, so look at verse 30 because they come. The men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. Death seems imminent for Gideon, this altar breaker, because the mob has come. But they don't come directly to Gideon, do they? They come to Joash. And I think their coming to Joash might reveal something of just who he was. We even learn, right, it's, it's, it's his father's altar. So perhaps his dad was even the, the priest or a leader of this group at Ophrah or uh, had the altar at least. And so there was some sense, I think, of leadership in his dad to them. But rather than repent in light of what God is doing, these men demand the son. They want the son. They want Gideon to die for his act. Now, I don't know that there's a direct allusion here 
later on, but would another son come maybe 13, 1400 years later? He would come and the leaders of that town, Jerusalem, would call for his death to Pilate, crucify him, crucify him, may he die. Was he calling out altars to Baal? Maybe not, but hypocrisy in them. He said this in Matthew 15, Jesus said this, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And he came claiming to be the Son of God among them. And yet it's the Lord Himself who tells His disciples in John 15. He says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But Let us not be surprised either at this or in our day at a public outcry from the public or from mankind or our own families who would disown us for following and treasuring our Lord. And yet in the midst of this call for death, God is at work and He is gracious to Gideon. Because though there be this public outcry against Him, someone stands up for Him. His own father who owned the altar. Look at this conversion here. Look at verse 31. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. Again, Edersheim comments here on these actions of Joash, Gideon's father, to contend in fact for God and for his son Gideon. He says this, Joash whose courage and faith seem to have been reawakened by the bold deed of his son, convinced his clan of the folly of their idolatry by an unanswerable argument drawn from their own conduct. Joash questions the mob. You're going to save Baal? He needs your help? Essentially, you've got the last phrase of verse 31 If he's a God, let him contend for himself. It's his altar. He can do this if he's a God. I think maybe maybe perhaps mocking them. And then there's this threat in verse 31. We kind of read over it here. There's a threat. Whoever contends for him, for Baal, shall be put to death by mourning. You see that phrase in your text? It's unclear to me. I don't, I'm not sure if this means like Joash. He's personally going to go out. You know, if you contend for Baal, I'm going in defense of my son. You won't make it till morning. That kind of idea, perhaps. Maybe Gideon himself will put these men to death. Or here's a third option. I, I lean this way. Maybe perhaps Baal himself would put them to death because. These men were exposing Baal's weakness as a god to contend for himself. That makes sense? Here's what one author writes for that explanation. So listen to this. In light of these men wanting to contend for Baal, we'll kill Gideon, we'll take care of it, you know, we'll make good for our god, that idea. Here's what he says. If Baal was a real god, 
it was an insult worthy of death to intervene on his behalf. A God who was really God could vindicate himself without the necessity for human interference. Maybe Baal himself would put them to death for getting in his place. So this threat of these men before Gideon's father, Joash, rather than squashing this quick revival in Gideon and in tearing down the altar, it didn't squash it. In fact, his father is influenced to defend him and see Baal, I think, for who he really is, a false god. God's grace is in the midst of the public outcry. And through this all, in verse 32, Gideon gets a nickname that's going to stick with him. And it's kind of hard to pronounce for us. But look at verse 32. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Drubbaal. Maybe it's the two V's. Maybe a V, I think, in Hebrew. Drubbaal. That is to say, let Baal contend against him. That's the meaning of his name because he broke down his altar. Gideon's nickname would be living proof to all who would eventually follow Gideon that Baal was a false god. Living proof of it. For the one who should contend with Gideon for tearing down his altar has had no effect on Gideon's life. He continues to live. The nickname stuck. Drubbaal. The ESV Study Bible says, with this name, Gideon became a living reminder of Baal's impotence. That's great. They gave him a nickname and he would show, no, Baal has not done anything to me yet. In fact, I'm going to go fight other battles. Nothing happened. What a testimony to this false God that they had so worshipped and would kill for whoever took down his altar. So the world is watching, at least here, family and city, watching Gideon to see what might happen. And we see, verse 34, again, Gideon survives. Baal doesn't contend because Baal is a false god. He survives. Gideon's alive and well. He's proved to be a worthless god, an empty god, a demonic deity. And the gods they had worshipped were utterly false. They could not even contend for themselves. Remember what happened I think it was with Uzzah, and you can correct me if I get the name. Remember when they were just carrying the cart of the ark back to uh, Jerusalem, I believe it was, and just the hand went on the ark, just the hand in the wrong place to steady it, it was death. That's God contending for His holiness. Baal, Gideon keeps being called Jerubbabel and keeps on living. Three brief thoughts of application as we close this out today. Question, number one's a question for you and I. What altar must be torn down in your own home, your own heart, your life, so that you might worship God and treasure Him alone? What do you do with this? You pray. Even Lord revealed this to me. You confess. You repent. I have had, I've built stuff up that I've treasured more than you. 
And then how are you rebuilt by God's grace in the cross that we sang about this morning? Nothing but that blood can wash us of our sin of idolatry and wrong worship. Go to Christ and then tear down the idols and build up an altar of praise to your God. That's number one. The question, what, what altar must be torn down? Number two, don't be surprised when family or friends or the world push back regarding your devotion to the Lord. It will cost you. That's what the Bible says. It will cost us to follow the Lord. It's not necessarily a healthy plan in the short term. It is long term to follow Christ. But perhaps we will get pushed back. We shouldn't be shocked when the world, in love with the world, finds our message intolerable. We're to fear God alone. Listen to these words from Luke 12, 4 through 7. What a what a a good word to us to fear God, and then also in the same sense encouragement to us. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 12. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. That You should fear him, the Lord. Yes, I tell you, Jesus says, fear him. And then this, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. There's this, don't fear man, fear the Lord who can cast into hell. And then remember, He cares for you. What a, what a mixture of glory here in this section. Don't be surprised when there's pushback. It will cost us to follow the Lord. And then number three, thinking even of, of Joash the father who maybe the priest of Baal turned to defend his son. Don't underestimate what God may do when you're fully devoted to Him and treasure Him. Don't underestimate what He might do. Joash I mean, he's the priest of Baal. If anybody, he should have said, yes, off with his head. He should die. He turned around. I think he saw his son following Yahweh. And I think he was converted and encouraged and, and uh, spurred on to follow the Lord himself. Evangelist, I'll close with this. Evangelist Henry Varley is said to have told D.L. Moody this popular quote you've heard before. The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to Him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray on behalf of the people gathered here and those that maybe will listen later online or are watching somewhere else. Lord, again, we ask, we pray that Your Spirit would bring about the conviction we need that we would not only tear down and rip up whatever altars are in our life, but we tear them up gladly because we found something way better. We found the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We found eternal hope in Christ. We found eternal joy in Christ. Eternal life is in Christ. The world is fading. The pleasures of the will, world will fade. Good food doesn't taste so good after so much of it. All the pleasures will eventually run out, but yours is eternal. Lord, give us, each of us, a distaste. Make the taste of other idols in our mouth. Just make us spit it out. Say, I don't want that anymore. I want Jesus. I want the rest found in Him. I want Him as my treasure. And so we pray that You would lead us. We pray that there would be confession where we have strayed and then great hope in the grace of Christ and that You'd prepare us as a church when the world pushes back, and they will, to not fear man, but fear the one who can cast into hell and who knows how many hairs are on our head. We give you praise and glory for your work in the life of Gideon seeing your work in our lives in our days in Jesus name you've been listening to Bethany Radio a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota